Hey, free for a catch up? Hello and welcome to Free for a Catch Up, the podcast that digs a little deeper. I'm Amanda. And I'm Esther. And today's question is, what is your wealth health like? So we have the privilege that Esther Moonlight, as the author of her recently released blog, The Happiness Investor, Investor being spelt E-S-T-H-E-R like her name. Um, and yeah, she's, she's, she has a vested interest, and I stole that part oh, of her. Excellent. Um, I but I thought we should talk about this because it's not talked about very often, and it's a great topic to talk about because everybody needs to know little tidbits and advice and just the realities of money management mm. and how you view money and how you handle it. So maybe, Esther, could you give us a spiel <laughs> about your blog? Firstly, thank you, Amanda, for um, those kind words. I am a consultant by day and a blogger by night. It's kind of corny, but yes. Um, yeah, so I guess I think the conception of this this whole blogging idea sort of... I, I did actually write about a little bit about it on the About section of the blog. Um, but basically, I think when I was sort of, you know, in uni and sort of growing up, um, finance was not a really a really big topic of conversation in my household. It was just, you know, you just have to you just have to make ends meet, <laughs> and you just have to be smart with your money without sort of going into the specifics of it. But it was when I left the, the nest. Oh, after being a student for way too long, when I came to Sydney <laughs> a couple of years ago, when I realised, um, okay, yeah, I probably need to start looking at my finances in you know a more intentional manner because. You know, there are bills to pay and there's rent to pay. And and that's when I really realised that um, I hadn't really learned anything about how to manage my money. <laughs> I mean, that's no, no fault, you know, for anyone, parents yeah. or anything like that. And I also you're not alone. Like, I would say that I don't ex- learn anything. No. <laughs> and isn't but it funny how you, there's something as fundamental as, like, handling your money. It's not yeah. even discussed in any formal education setting. Mm. It's not talked about. Um, you know, within sort of particularly the Asian community, mm. um, there's just this stigma about talking about it as being such a taboo topic. Um, and so I really found myself not knowing exactly how to even budget. Um, and it's pretty frightening because that's like a basic, uh, it's an essential part of living. So uh, as, a, as you would know, Amanda, as a evidence-based scientist, <laughs> um, I decided to go about it in a way that was um, evidence based. So I didn't want to just be like, all right, I think I need to spend about this much or, and this mm. much on, my, you know, on daily expenses, etc. I did what any normal, sane scientist would do, <laughs> and start researching. Yep. So I spent a lot of time looking online yep. um, and also reading books because, you know, as a fellow, you can't see this, but I'm pushing on my imaginary glasses as a bookworm. <laughs> and we've advocated for books many times. Yeah, we we have. This is an excellent way of um, just consuming and disseminating information. So. Yeah, so I started reading, um, and so the, funnily enough, the the book that I that kind of really kickstarted my interest in all this, actually was um, a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. So that book is more of a conceptual book. So it just talks, generally speaking, about um, how you should view money. But it's essentially, um, there's this wonderful quote from that book that says, "Workers work just enough not to get fired, mm-hmm. and bosses pay just enough." 
so their workers don't leave. Because <laughs> that's essentially what a job is. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's a bit of a side well, Actually, we know that it's not. But no, it's not. <laughs> but yes, um, there's a very just, common belief. That, yes. Yeah. It's just about just doing enough. Okay. Um, so yeah, so then I read that book and then that really kind of inspired my interest in finances. And then I decided, um, I was like, okay, that's great. But then I don't really have any practical tips for learning how to manage it. And then so that's when I read The Barefoot Investor. And anyone who spent sort of the time from, say, like, you know, July to August last year would probably be sick to death of me talking about this book because I, I really do fundamentally believe that it, um, it's, it's a book that, like, every Australian needs mm. to read. I concur. Um, yeah, right? <laughs> we hooked and I was, like, going on about yeah, it Yeah, poor well. Amanda, I mean, had to be subjected to it. But it's just written in such an accessible way. It's Australian-specific, so there's a lot of books out there that are US-specific, and whilst they're good, they're not... Um, terribly relevant to Australians. So that really kind of sparked my interest in, um, first of all, in managing my own money mm. and also in uh, inspiring others to manage their money. Not that I'm an advisor, disclaimer, but to get other people interested in Or at least starting to think about it yeah. and not being so afraid. To I talk think, about it. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, what we were talking about before about perception, like if you don't even, if you're so scared about it and if you put so much overemphasis on it then mm. you can't handle it properly yeah. no and it is a fundamental thing and it doesn't it doesn't matter if you've um, got only a part-time job if mm. you're still at uni mm-hmm. it doesn't matter because yep. it's all about forming good habits yep so if think about it if, wouldn't you rather have thought about this when you're young and not financially independent and then you get to that stage and you already know how to handle money. Mm. Rather than waiting till you're already independent and you're like, oh well, no. it's like cooking. <laughs> you, should, you should learn about how to cook yeah. before you even leave the house. That's right, but no one does. <laughs> Maybe some context. Um, yes. So you moved from Perth to yes. Sydney. Yes. And I also live alone. Well, not, sorry, not alone. I live with my husband. <laughs> so we are both hashtag adulting. The, yes, we are. We are adulting. attempt to. But yeah, it definitely has been interesting learning curve as well well the question is what is your wealth health like mm. and that is we, we talk about wealth health so what do we mean by that okay so fun fact <laughs> as i was sort of doing research for this blog um oh yeah sorry i didn't mention that the main impetus for me starting this blog is actually to promote discussion about um investments uh, as you'll find out later on not just in a financial setting mm. but um sort of in other areas of your life as well but the the impetus was to discuss finances. And for a long time, I thought the blog was just going to be about finances. But I realised that it actually forms a larger picture, or a larger triangle, I should say. <laughs> um, so speaking of wealth health, wealth is traditionally associated with, I think, with the idea of being mega rich. Yeah. But it's not really. It's just about um, how well you manage your money and your financial status. Yeah. Not that um, your net worth or per se, mm. but about how much you care about your finances. Mm-hmm. So how much do you care? That's mm. that's how healthy your financial life is. Um, and interestingly, the the word wealth actually is traced back to um, the Middle English world word wealthy. Mm-hmm. Well, wealth. I don't know how to say that word, but it basically means um, well-being and health. So that actually, it has like the same like etymological origins. So the two words mean the same thing. So um, so it turns out wealth, health, and well-being have much more in common than you might think. Yeah, so that actually, because I was about to say, um, you may be confusing, because last week we were kind of saying, you know, it's not all about yeah. money, and it's not yeah. all about how much you earn, but then this week we're talking about yeah. wealth, health. I didn't so, occur to me. But the point is that it does form 
an aspect of your life that you do need to make sure you uh, take care of. Yeah, that you take yeah. care and you're, uh, I guess, in control mm. of, so that you can then also spend time on yourself and other people and the people that you mm. love and that will build up a more meaningful and purposeful mm. life. Notice the blog is not the wealthy blog. It's yeah. just... <laughs> It's just, it's a matter of um, having financial control. And that's the central driving um, message of the blog is that you should care so much about money only to the point where it um, sort of endows you financial control. Mm. It's not about having a net worth of, you know, in in sort of the millions. Like that's that's not, just because money doesn't buy happiness. It just buys you financial control that can sometimes yield happiness so yeah. there's a there's a there's definitely a um fundamental difference between the two yeah and there's also research that shows yes. that when when you hit a certain yes. um amount is it a hundred it's a hundred thousand yeah hundred thousand yeah so up until then you're climbing and then it's a relative it's corresponding to your uh yeah levels of well-being yeah um, but then once you hit that hmm? threshold it kind of stagnates it just yep so no matter how much if you earn more than that it's yes. not going to increase your well-being or happiness yes so thank you for bringing that that um, finding up because that's actually the other. So one part of why I wanted to start the blog was the financial part, the financial uh, area. But the other reason why is because I I stumbled across that a publication that talked about that particular finding. So it's it's basically a, a uh, like a wellness um, index that was developed by um, academic researchers. So again, it has to be scientific, otherwise I don't believe it <laughs> for the most part. Um, and they're basically, it's actually the, the world's largest um, happiness study done on a national level. So, and it's done by Australians. So it was uh, done by these two researchers that basically tracked happiness levels over, um, it was like a 15-year period. Um, and they found that, so while, whilst wealth and, and finances is important, it's actually only one corner of what they call the golden triangle of happiness. Mm. So the second corner is actually... And actually, this is the most important one: is um, personal relationships. So you have to have established close, meaningful personal relationships with people around you, and that goes beyond just the number of followers you have on Instagram or <laughs> Facebook friends, um, because you know we all know that that's not a general, uh, a, a true gauge of yeah. the level of connectivity you have in society. Um, and then the third corner is a sense of purpose. So that actually ties quite neatly back to your work. Um, so if your work can provide you the financial control but not the sense of purpose, you probably won't be happy. It's not complete. Uh, in the same way that if you if you don't feel like you connect with your colleagues, again, that's yeah. that's a missing corner. It's not a triangle. It's just like a sad two-lined shape. <laughs> <laughs> but we are going to focus um, on, I guess, finances in this particular episode yeah. because that, that's probably... As we mentioned before, it's not talked about very much, mm. and it, it is a cornerstone. So you need to get this under control in order to yes, yeah, to <laughs> live, live your life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that study, like you mentioned, it there's a correlation between levels of happiness and your income up to a hundred thousand. Then after that, the correlation tapers quite obviously. So um, and now people who earn two hundred thousand or whatever, they they made you know beg to differ. Mm. But ultimately, if you look at sort of the broader population, and if you and if you look at general trends that is the case so and you might be you might be thinking why why is that like if you have more things shouldn't you be happier isn't mm-hmm. that just a natural um tendency um but this this study just goes to show that it's not because i think when you start earning that much first you're taxable yes. <laughs> so you're actually your net income is less yeah 
but second of all it can become the more you have the more you think you have to lose and so mm. there's that trade-off um, between those two factors um, and yeah so that that's a bit of a background into why I started it mm-hmm. um, now I don't again disclaimer profess to be an expert by any means <laughs> but I think I'm definitely the crusader for opening up this channel for discussion about these kind of topics because why is it that we're so comfortable talking about a lot of other aspects of our life but this is something that's just so fundamental in our life and yet no one no one talks about it like mm. no one's like what's your thing thing happened like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so then what if you could go back and tell your 20 year old self these are the things that you should be doing oh. to prepare your oh yes what would you tell yourself okay so um actually one of the the first of the first post in the finance corner of the blog was um books to read to change to kickstart your financial future <laughs> yep um so you can check out happinessinvestor.com <laughs> essentially there's on that list are two books to change the your conceptual idea of money and there's one book which talks about the practical aspects which is the barefoot investor but the next post which should be out by the time this is released um is yeah like you said how what would i tell my even though i'm still in my 20s whew, just um just how hey well you know we're <laughs> clinging on for dear life um <laughs> What would I tell my earlier 20-year-old self? Or what should basically all 20-year-olds look at doing? Mm. Um, so, and I put 20 for 20 because it's nice, nice and poetic. Um, so, I mean, I won't go through all 20 because clearly, clearly, that'll just no one has time for that. Um, but <laughs> it's, I would say the 20s is probably it's it's a very interesting decade. You're going through a lot of changes. Yep. Arguably, probably the the, the biggest one of the biggest changes is your um, changing your financial status. Mm. You know, you leave. As I mentioned on the blog, you you leave the comfy cocoon of familial financial dependence to emerge <laughs> as like a majestic financially independent butterfly. Wow. <laughs> Hope that was rather I mean extra, but I mean I I imagery did, that was yeah conjured. it's true, but that's what I think of. You know, you've spent all this time sheltered. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's probably because you're sheltered, you don't think about these things. Yes. You it's, don't think about bills. You don't think about. <laughs> Because you don't have to, and, yeah, and have I to. think a lot of families maybe they don't they don't know how to talk to their kids about it, or they mm. just think oh my kids will figure, figure it out and they go. Yeah. Um. But why why then do you get trained how to you know calculate the derivative or something? Like, you know what I, mean? <laughs> I know. <laughs> These things are not yeah. that practical. <laughs> <laughs> now investment derivatives different story, but you know anyway that's that's a, that's a different story. Um. So yeah. So I suppose I won't go through all twenty, but. First thing was first is to care about it and to talk openly about it. I think if you don't know how to handle it, um, which most people don't when they're, you know, in their early twenties, um, talk to your, ask your family how they handle their finances. Mm. By family, you mean parents? Parents, older siblings, maybe not younger siblings, because they probably have no concept. <laughs> but friends. Um, now I'm not suggesting you go around saying what is your income, Amanda. <laughs> like, you know, something's still left private. But you can just generally ask them. You know what. How do you handle it? Because it, yeah. everyone has to do this. No one can escape this, unfortunately. Mm. And and it's just a matter of time that you have to deal with it. Like let's be honest. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, that's kind of the the first step. And fun fact: Did you know that um, in a, a survey um, commissioned by Suncorp, which is like a bank corporation, mm-hmm. um, in 2018, showed that Aussies are more comfortable talking about religion, politics. And relationships than their salary and their spending and saving habits. <laughs> so that just there. that just goes to show like people don't really want to talk about it. So, um, but the more you talk about it openly, the more you can learn, and the faster you'll be able to learn how to manage it, which yeah. you know can't be a bad thing. Um, so that's the first step. 
Uh, I don't want to go through all 20. That's but. okay. I was actually going to say when you're talking about um, in your early 20s when things start to change and you move out, or maybe not even move out, but you start working, working. at least. Yes. And the first thing that you have to fill out besides the employee form is your superannuation. And the, the, to me, I had no idea what it was. I just went along with whatever super my, uh, back then I was a pharmacy assistant. I was in a pharmacy, so they the went one, with, um, yeah. And from then on, I changed jobs quite a number of times. So. Yeah, but you stuck and, with the same one? But I stuck with the same one just Good. because for me, I thought it was easy. I didn't want to roll over. Um, so I just kept giving the same number. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I just never thought about it. I had no idea what it was. What is it even doing? I just knew. Do you know the money was used to be to invest in I had a very vague market. concept about No, I didn't. So oh. I only thought, okay, this is the government's way. Oh, someone had told me it's because we don't know how to save for our future retirement, so the government's helping us. Uh, that, that was my concept. savings plan. Kind of, yeah. And so I knew yeah. that you could access super at the end of your life. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> well, not my life. At a, at a certain time. Yeah. yeah, that was all. So that, that might be a good place to start. So With maybe super? explain what super is, cool. Esther. Putting me on the spot. <laughs> it's not even on my like first 10 steps. It's like towards the end. But I probably should put it at the front. Yeah. Because it's probably the first thing that people think of. So basically superannuation is a way that the government helps us to save for our future mm-hmm. <laughs> and retirement. Um, but I think what people don't realise is what that money is actually used for. Yep. So every single one of us is actually an investor yes. because that money is being used to invest in the share market yes. and in cash and in, um, and in other kind of holdings that we don't, A, we don't, get to, we don't normally choose because it just rolls to the default one, mm. which is typically the balanced portfolio, mm-hmm. um, which is fair enough. Because it's kind of the concern. And when you say balance, it's across things like property, yes, um, inter- uh, overseas, yes, and also domestic. Um, you know, yep, stocks, like and there's also um, there's a bit that's held in cash as well. Mm. Um, the thing I really want to say is that if you are under the age of like 40, like that's just an arbitrary cutoff. But if you're youngish, mm. um, number one is uh, change change the portfolio. Why? The ba- okay, because the balanced one, it it has a low risk but it's also low return. And when you're younger, your best asset is time. Mm. And you have a very long time horizon, and so you can ride the highs and the lows of the share market. And so, um, I I mean, I'm I'm not telling anyone to do anything, but I'd say for me personally, the first thing I did was when I learned more about what super is, and how best to kind of um, use it is I changed it from a balanced portfolio to a growth portfolio. Mm. So you can actually um, up the ante and, and go with a high growth. Yeah. Now that's riskier, but you yeah. you could probably also write out the highs and lows if you chose that. But for me, I balance because um, basically the the more risky it is, the more the higher the fees are. Um, and so you've got to sort of look at the trade-off between the fees of actually having mm. that portfolio and the return you're making because sometimes it can eat into your returns. Yeah. So that's kind of the trade-off. Um, yeah. yeah. So that would be what i do. And the other thing that you mentioned that you didn't do, which is a good thing, is that sometimes people have, you know, three or four Multiple, yeah. Yeah, part-time jobs and they've got three or four different supers and you're being charged admin fees and flat fees for every okay, one of those. So if you've got more than one super, consolidate them into one account. And it's so easy. All you should do is put your tax phone number in yep. and it rolls over. Into and it one. also closes it automatically. Yes. So I, the first time I did this, I thought I had to close it myself. So I rolled <laughs> over rang, and then I rang them. Like, oh, man, like, it's, it's done. <laughs> yeah, it's already been terminated. Oh, yeah. okay, thanks. Bye. No, that's good. Everything's it's seamless. It's not hard. And yeah. it's and you might think, oh, okay, the admin fees are only like you know $100 a year. But if you think of the 
compound interest, like not interest, but the compounding effect of time. Like mm. you could end up spending heaps. So that's just very basic. Yeah. Just that's that's one thing. And maybe yeah. so I've also done my own set of research and Excellent. then also changed supers and um, portfolios and things like that. But what I found as well um, is and I know this sounds really boring, but <laughs> the PDF does help, like oh, understanding because yeah. if you don't know anything about you know, what is a balanced portfolio, what's mm. diversified assets, what, yeah. are, what does this mean, what's high risk, what's low return, like, um, it does help if, uh, and most uh, super funds do have like a nice concise little mm. information thing where mm -hmm. it compares all the different ones. So, and there's also what I found is um, like ethical portfolios as well, so not investing in things like livestock. And, so if, you, if that's what you like, then mm. I mean, if that's your affinity, then you can go for that as well. So yeah, definitely yep. you need to. And this is, I guess, understanding that, hey, this is what super does. So yeah. you need to now make, you can make a choice about where yes. your money gets invested. And also it now makes sense because how else will your retirement fund grow <laughs> if it's not invested in something and mm. to get returns on that? Yeah. Yep. And it's, it's just kind of weird how no one tells you about it. And you're like, oh, what's this super oh, account? Okay. Like, this format. Oh, okay. I know. You're like, but it's, it's, this is, like when you're 60 and you realize, oh no, I didn't care about this one. Are you gonna be like, oh dear? Uh, <laughs> like it's it's actually and frightening. And Scott Pape says that in his book. He talks about these poor little elderly women oh, that write yeah. to him, and that, like they're so worried because they just um, fortunately don't have the never had the opportunity to mm. <laughs> invest more upfront mm. when they were when they could. And also now there's really no excuse because everything is at your fingertips. You know, with online mm. um, resources, you don't really have an excuse. Maybe back with those little old ladies, they didn't have the, the resources to kind of be more educated. But now yeah. there's really just no excuse, I think. Um, so that's probably that's like that. Thank you for mentioning that. That's a it's a very important one. Um, the other thing is also look into some of. So you've you've got apart from the admin fees, there are things like you know death insurance and other things mm. like that that you may not need at your age. Mm. Um, you know, even even sort of like uh, income insurance and like that. So just look into the fees that uh, sort of may eat into your returns. Um, and actually, there are some super funds now that let you have a more active role in picking your investment choices. So I suppose if you're more familiar in the area, you want to choose it. Go ahead. Some people have self-managed super funds. That that is tricky. I'm not gonna mm. lie. Um, but industry super funds are, I think, sort of the more uh, recommended. Uh, rather than the banks. The banks have a terrible reputation, especially at the moment. Um, so yeah, so that's that. I, sorry, sorry. I, I won't go through all the other 20, but mm -hmm. generally speaking, you want to start, uh, no matter how young you are, just tracking your spending. Mm. Because that gets you interested in you know, what you spend money on in general. But basically, there are, um, there are apps that help track your spending. So you, and it actually consolidates all of your bank accounts into one account. So it pulls information from different, your different bank accounts. So you don't have to manually enter anything. So I think most of us use our cards for most payments. So it just tracks and it automatically categorizes those expenditures depending on the category. So you know, how much am I spending on this particular thing? And you might think, okay, this is not that important, but it's all about building good habits when you're young. Um, so once you've tracked, being able to start tracking your sort of spending habits, um, as Beth and Vanessa says, <laughs> if you don't have a, a, a budgeting strategy you can explain in 30 seconds, you don't have one at yeah, all. Yeah. So having a good budget, but if you think about that with that mindset, how are you ever going to learn a budget when you mm. really, the real thing comes around? Mm. 
Um, and I think that, sorry, I'll interject here. That was no, one of the important takeaways I took from his book because, mm. yes, there's all these practical things, but if we don't, again, have the mindset or the perspective, like if we, um, if we put... If we don't understand that money is just it, it's a tool mm. and it can help you and it can also not help you <laughs> depending <laughs> yeah. on how you use it yeah. but you shouldn't we shouldn't um and if we treat it like so if we treat it with respect just like how mm. everything else mm-hmm. um money people yeah material belongings yeah <laughs> then then that you have a healthier relationship with money too so it's not just oh I don't have enough, so no. I can't spend. Or I've got two, I've got a lot, so I can just go and frivolously spend exactly. on what I want. So that that was quite big. And for me, got coming through all this like understanding the brain and all of that, mm. like that, I was actually quite interesting because I'd never thought about thinking about money like that. Yeah, from a psychological perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't want to. Yeah, you don't want to be too rich or too poor. <laughs> I mean, that's that's. It's awesome. a Bible verse. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and unfortunately, this this country, I think, has kind of. Uh, the mentality is we we live a very um a, a very sort of debt fueled lifestyle. I think a lot of people spend above their means. Mm. So that and that's a problem. The the mentality is you spend tomorrow's cash today, which is mm. essentially what a credit card is. Yeah. You don't you haven't made the money yet, but you're yep. spending that money before you've made it. Yeah. Um and there's no guarantee you will make enough to repay it. So there is that mentality. Your mentality really should be to spend today's cash tomorrow. So that's kind of mm. that's the other mentality. Um, and the other thing that leads this segue is quite nicely to the next point, which is to understand how credit works. <laughs> so um, people apply for credit cards, maybe for the you know the rewards points incentives and et cetera, but they don't understand the implications of um, of not making your repayments. Um, also, they don't, I don't think many people understand what a credit score is. Um, and when you're making your the biggest financial commitment you probably will in your entire life, which is your mortgage. Um, how how do lenders look at that? How do yeah. they look at your credit history? How do they factor in your income? You know your ability. Your mobile phone plan is actually a mm. credit history. People don't know that. Mm. So it's just crazy that people. Yeah. So what does that mean? Like if you are if you fail to make monthly repayments, yeah. and then your credit score will go down. Yeah. So when you look go to the bank and you want to apply for a loan. Yes. And they'll be like, oh, this person. Yeah, is, you know, it's sort of you just sketchy. Get, yeah, it puts a dent in your um history. So whilst I'm not saying having a credit card is bad, so that actually Scott. He says you shouldn't have one. I think, um, I think that's definitely a personalised thing. If if your credit card and being able to pay for credit card can help to establish your credibility, <laughs> credibility, um, then then it's actually a good thing. So it can it can be a good thing. Um, so his kind of like no credit card blanket rule, I think, is you just kind of. Well, for him, it's probably good. easier, maybe just not to have it's to manage simpler. that. Yeah, yeah, it's simpler, and also it encourages you not to spend. Um, above your means. Yep. Um, and and, yeah. and that's a huge one. I think, like like you mentioned, we don't have this concept of this is how much I need to draw a line <laughs> because we see, and this goes back to well, um, goes back to also seeing other people and like comparison, comparison, and mm. you know, I need this again with the travel thing because that that was a big mm, thing for, for me. You. Yeah. Um, everyone's traveling so often, mm. but I'm still stuck here. But I have the mon- money, I have the means, mm. but I also have a mortgage. So that was a huge mm. struggle for me because I wanted to have, I wanted to go and travel, but yeah. I shouldn't. Not that I couldn't. Yeah, just, yeah. It's a responsibility that I have at that time. And something else as well that um, this is separate, but for me, because I was never really taught how to think about money, I don't, I've never really had that foresight to think so far into the future. To retirement? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, I don't know. It was more of like a just kind of spend now, just 
deal with today's Perfect. issues, yeah. pay the bills, then you'll be fine. But mm. but and this is something that Dixon's quite strong in, where he mm. has that foresight. And I always joke he's like a he's like a fifty year old man because <laughs> no one else thinks about this but him. But he thinks so far forward. He thinks about like what uh, you know what what is our life going to be like? Yeah. Do we want to work continuously? What mm. age do we want to retire? What sort of um, retirement do we want? Like and if we have the ability, um, and thank God we have the ability to earn money now and mm. at a certain um, amount then how are we taking care of that and mm. what can we invest in so that it grows while it can mm. um, and yeah this is a whole thing as well like his business partner is really big on this where the purpose again the purpose of money and job is actually um, because you think about it when you go to work you are getting paid for your time like you, yes. in, you an give your time. your time yeah so people yeah. paying you for your time but that that when I guess maybe when you get older, when you have a family and stuff like that, you want that time back because mm. time is precious and time is mm. not something that you know <laughs> it's not going to come back to you. So we can you do you want to get to a point where you can actually be financially stable mm. enough to say, oh, I want to, I'm going to pay someone else. As in, or I mean, he he's a business owner, so that's the way he is thinking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, do you want to or maybe cut down hours mm. or work less or change jobs something that's less stressful so you can spend more time with family that type of thing mm. um and it's 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 a contrast because you don't think like that when you're young you just think you need to go and earn as much as you can and yeah but for what yeah 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 for what exactly <laughs> for, for what? what it's more yeah. your momentary mm. instant gratification as opposed to well what yeah. am i going to do in the future and i thought yeah it's interesting i'd like to <laughs> not that i'd like to see but or, or like if you've got the means to travel then excellent yes. like good for you yeah um but if you can't well if you're going out of your way to do things or pay for things mm. it's like think about it if you've paid for your you know a two grand trip around the world it's probably gonna cost more than that i'm clearly delusional um <laughs> <laughs> like you know and but you're paying that using your credit card like how mm. do, how how do you, do you think the trade-off of having those experiences coming back to like you know a credit card statement <laughs> of however much it costs? Do you think that trade-off is worth it? And it, it could be to some yeah, people. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and that's fine. Okay. But it's just yeah. I guess we're trying to stimulate and dig a little deeper. Like mm. actually, does it? Like do you are you thinking <laughs> about, about your future? <laughs> <laughs> and this is such a, and I think people don't think about it that often. No. They don't think about it, and I think also they don't talk about it. Mm. So it's just kind of assumed that everyone figures it out, uh, which I guess they do because clearly it's, it's been yeah, figured out. Yeah, that's true. But there are better ways, I think, of doing it, and there's, there really should be nothing – there should be no stigma attached to it. Um, obviously, something's kept private, but just general tips and how and and how people handle it. it think about it. It's something every single person has to handle. It's like – and then yet there's just no discussion about it, so, <laughs> Yeah. That was part one of episode two. We will continue with part two in the next release.